All right, welcome everybody to episode 13 of the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle. I'm the other one of the hosts, David. Hello, Kyle. David, I'll let you introduce the uh, guest of the week. Oh, yes. Without any further ado, it is a, uh, a good friend of mine, Ben Demick, or just Ben. We can cut that too. <laughs> I, I add everybody's last name to the show notes, so it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Well, that's delightful. So uh, you have a little bit of work to do already. So uh, welcome uh, aboard, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Ben, I can obviously remove your name for the show notes, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to have my name out there. It's all good. I'm not super paranoid. Oh, I'm paranoid. Makes you, you know, when you have that, that uh, you know, Department of Defense background, you, you just kind of live in that bubble, you know, the bubble of uh, uncertainty and paranoia that is pervasive in your life. I am, I'm not, not as pervasive as in your life. My life, oh man, my, I'm a mess. You, I'm not a good reference point, I think. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> so real quick, for those that are listening for the first time uh, to Moscow Mules and Ops Slides, what this podcast is, is this, we just talk with people in the tech field, cyber field. We talk about things they like to do, and we do that over a, a couple drinks, maybe. Um, and we usually kick it off that way, you know, for the guests to, you know, of the week to tell us what they're uh, sipping on this fine, fine evening. So Ben. How are you wetting your whistle? I am Ooh. wetting my whistle with a Ponysaurus IPA. From Ponysaurus. One of the many wonderful uh, local uh, local breweries we have here in Raleigh, North Carolina. There is a lot of really good IPA down there. Well, not IPA, just you know, brewery in general. And that's that's nice that you picked an IPA because today, uh, you know, before this podcast drops in a week, but today is apparently National IPA Day, so. Hats off to Ben for a wise choice. I have heard such things. And isn't that funny? As a guy that's been drinking all the IPAs, speaking of myself, I'm not drinking an IPA today. <laughs> Why? Hey, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. But Ben, so wait, so Raleigh, Raleigh's a big tech area. So it's, David, you said it's a lot of breweries down there, that are like, like, like Pittsburgh style? I don't know Pittsburgh style, but it, it kind of turned into like this East Coast hotbed of, uh, of breweries. Uh, a couple of the big ones relocate, not relocated, but open up like second offices or, or second brewing plants out in uh, Raleigh or that, you know, uh, North Carolina area uh, toward the east side. Uh, one of them comes to mind is New Belgium. Like there, I know they're in the area somewhere. Um, I'm going to have to look that up, uh, fact check David, but you know. Yeah, a lot of them have, uh, a couple have uh, also relocated. Asheville is where the big hot Asheville. Is. Yes. My bad. But there are definitely quite a few here in uh, quite a few here in Raleigh. But Asheville is a fantastic, uh, fantastic weekend trip to uh, to go and just uh, sample a lot of really good beers. I I visited Asheville for the first time right after Wicked Weed sold out to Imbev, and boy were people around there pissed off about that. I. I actually accidentally apparently ordered it at a restaurant and got this look of death from the waitress because it was on the menu. And, uh, <laughs> and she said, we don't serve that here. And I was like, well, it's on the menu. She was like, yeah, I don't know if you heard about this. And, and then talked my ear out for five minutes about what traders they were to the local craft brewing scene. And I was just like, I don't know. I enjoy good beer. <laughs> I don't care who pays them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is this is kind of weird because I was kind of hoping uh, in, in some sort of roundabout way that we got around into talking about like the, the smaller breweries getting grabbed up and Wicked Weed was like one of them uh, in, in particular for this podcast because I wanted to talk about, I don't know, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but like we're, you know, this is, this is DEF CON Black Hat Week and it's not happening this year. And that town to me is just basically bought by Anheuser-Busch InBev and their portfolio. And once you start like actually looking at what's on tap and, and having that sort of background knowledge of, you know, who, who they've acquired over the last you know decade, you can pick out that like, you know, this bar is basically just serving Anheuser-Busch products. And, you know, the, the logos weren't enough to give it away, but here they are like snapping up, you know, nice, really well-known small craft breweries like Wicked Weed and they end up getting that sort of stigma attached to them. We're like, well, uh, that's not for me anymore. And that's, you know, um, 
unfortunately, that's kind of the camp that I'm in. So I can, I can, uh, I don't know if it's the, it's the hill I really want to die on in my life, but um, I don't know. It's, it's just not for me, but yeah, you'll, you'll get that. And I'll see it. And uh, we see it in Pennsylvania now, like Wicked Weed Pernicious is in like my bottle shop. And I wouldn't expect to pick that up anywhere outside of like the North Carolina area, you know, five years ago. So we just see like in the same note, do you see today I saw a hitchhiker, they're like now going to be distributing to like East side of uh, Pennsylvania. Hey, all right. Get them, get them out there, man. That's good stuff. They're, yeah. they're a, a top notch brewery that has a, a really, I think sizable productions uh, house where they can, they can meet that kind of demand, thankfully and get their name out there. So but, Ben, back to you. What this pony Is this like a hazy? Is this like a West coast? What's it taste like? Know. It's a it's a pretty standard uh, American IPA. Um, really, just a just a good, clean, um, easy easy drinking IPA. Doesn't really knock you over, but it's uh, it's just a, a really good uh, really good drinking beer. Um, How did you find the Pronisaurus? Because that's a place I've never heard of before. Is it super small? Are they are they kind of like well known in the area? What's the <laughs> what's the hype there? Pretty well known in the area. You'll find it at pretty much any bar here in the uh, in the Raleigh Durham area. Um, and, uh, the other, so Pony, Pony Source is pretty big, uh, Bond Brothers is pretty big, Trophy is pretty big, and, uh, the nice thing about Trophy is my neighbor two doors town is one of the owners, so, um, so we have a nice local connection to that, uh, and they're, uh, they're, they're probably one of the more well-known, um, and they're starting to distribute, um, pretty widely. Uh, not sure if they're going out of state yet, but they're, uh, they're probably going to, eventually get there um, but they're uh, definitely really good um, and it's I mean I have a pretty awesome bottle shop three blocks away with just it's just wall-to-wall -wall North Carolina beer which is pretty awesome yeah I remember being uh, you know when we were working in like the same spaces I remember you lived down in DC and you would uh, you know very nicely always uh, you were able to like pick out some really nice craft beer that I hadn't heard of from you know just small town DC breweries and I don't know if Blue Jacket Brewery has gotten any bigger in the you know the last six years since I moved away, but that was one of the spots that I remember you saying that was like, it was it was it right that was that was local delicious craft beer in D.C. and you didn't have to pay you know an arm and a leg to get it. You guys yeah, think about Jailbreak. Remember Jailbreak? Oh Bunch God. Of NSA NSA guys and people <laughs> that left. Jailbreak was Jailbreak has some good beers. And they're still going pretty strong. Um, uh, right proper is another one that came out of uh, came out of DC. I think they're getting they're getting a little bit bigger. Um, they had a lot of really good really good beers. Every once in a while, you'd get one that was crazy. The the problem I had with Blue Jacket, and I, I imagine now that they're a little bit more mature, was um, you almost would never get the same beer twice, even though they kept the same name. Like they couldn't reproduce very well. Um, so I, I found that to be a little bit. Maybe they just weren't very mature in their processes, but I'd go in and say, hey, give me the, uh, you know, the, the um, I forget what the name of their signature IPA was, and it never tasted the same as it did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what did you change? They're like, nothing. <laughs> cool. Still tastes fine, but it's not what I had last time. That's a really nice spot, too, down there. So I, I, I hope that they fixed some of those technique issues or, you know, production inconsistencies. First blue jacket. Where was oh, it? Man. Where is it? It is, uh, speaking of nice spots, it is right around the corner from the World Series champion Washington um, Nationals Park, which is coincidentally my, my mug today, which is made out of a baseball. That is delightful. Oh, that is actually pretty legit. But why do you, so, I mean, obviously I'm creeping in the picture and obviously the people won't see this, but you're also, you're in a picture in the background, you're wearing a Red Sox jersey. It sounds like you're, you know, flipping flopper, uh, a bandwagon jumper. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so I grew up on the Red Sox uh, and, um, Actually, I grew up in northern New York, which is about 50-50 Yankees, Red Sox nation. Um, and so when I was growing up, I always heard stories from my great-grandfather. My uh, mom's side of the family is from, uh, from Lowell, Massachusetts. And he, uh, he always told stories about working at Fenway Park uh, when Ted Williams played. Uh, so I always grew up a big Ted Williams, Red Sox fan. So the... Uh, the last couple decades have been pretty good as a Red Sox fan, and then when we uh, we moved to the D.C. area and the Nats became a thing, I kind of adopted them without 
hopefully losing a whole lot of allegiance to the Red Sox, given that they uh, will probably never meet in the World Series and be good at the same time. So got an American League team to follow, a National League team to follow, and uh, it's been pretty, it's been pretty good. Local baseball too, right? You're, you're, you're there supporting the team. Uh, I could not ever ditch my uh, local Pittsburgh allegiance to do that sort of thing. So, you know. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen. You want me to go or you want to go? Oh, I'll go. I mean, since, right. since we're talking about Pittsburgh, I mean, I'll just, I'll jump right into it um, because Ben's here, right? So Ben, Ben knows me from, from a while back. So uh, what I grabbed here, I grabbed another Pittsburgh beer. Um, I, I've been in the mood lately for Belgian beers, and I can't find Belgian beers locally around me to save my life, and it's, it's kind of uh, miserable. One beer that I really like from Upper New York and uh, Oma Gang Brewery is called Rare Voss, and it's kind of like a more mass-produced Belgian-style beer, and I can't find it. I can't find anything but like Three Philosophers or the Game of Thrones series that they did. So uh, trolling around my local beer shop, I was able to find a Grist House beer. Grist House is a, a pretty large, um, has a nice following in Pittsburgh for craft, uh, the craft scene. And we have something called Beautiful Blonde today, but beautiful, so it must have a bunch of honey in it. It's a Belgian gold ale rocking 8%. So we're gonna crack that and see what happens. I think um, Voodoo does a Belgian beer with uh, green Kool-Aid. They call it like the Ecto something. Yeah, is that Belgium? That, that, that whole lact lacto series, whatever they call yeah. it. But yeah, the ecto cooler, I missed that one. I didn't get any of that. Uh, I'm, I'm in search of it. We'll keep an eye out. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dump this into a newer glass that I got. It's actually one of the last ones I'm gonna buy for a while because I've been I've been you know I'm backlogged. I'm really backlogged. But I found this cool Pittsburgh themed glass uh, from HopCulture.com. Have never been there before, but it's got this nice little skyline scene and uh, uh, a little incline artwork. Some logos, pirates, penguins, stealers, but you know, without infringing on the patents of the companies. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna sippy 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 on this delicious, hopefully brew, and uh, I'll pass that to Kyle while I pass judgment on this beer. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, you liked this one recently, and you tagged me on. Uh, I gave you one of these recently. Um, so I'm keeping not in the IPA realm. Ironically, didn't even know it was a National IPA Day. Otherwise, I'd probably change. Well, the other one I have here, just in case we go long, it'll be sort of an IPA. Well, we can Anyways. indulge afterwards. It's uh, it's it's early. It's one of the earliest podcasts we've done in a while. So yeah, it is. A lot of daylight so, left. So this one's from another local uh, brewery in the Pittsburgh area, from Shelleroy Four Points Brewing. This is the um, every time only once a fruited sour ale, strawberry boysenberry. Um, you know, so I would call it a milkshake, uh, I'm sorry, a smoothie sour. So, cause it has the milk sugar and the vanilla bean in it, but the play of the baseball theme, ironically, I just did it because of, uh, you know, baseball just started and, you know, I'm a Cleveland Indians fan, but this is a, another, I think smaller glass maker called Amer legends, like American legends, but they use uh, a four for the A. But it's Hop Griffey Jr., so 1992 old school Don Don Ross baseball cards, right? So you got a when I got this glass, you got actually a 1990 pack of Don Ross baseball cards as well. I got a Bo Jackson card in there. Shout out Bo Jackson. But one of the best well athletes there because that looks like an upper deck. Sorry, I'm wrong. Yes, upper deck, not Don Ross. Check Kyle alive. It is upper deck, but yeah, it's um. Hop Griffey Jr. and you know they have a hop over his face, but it's a that was a cool glass when I saw it. I was a big Griffey fan back in that day. It's after one of the most sold out shoes as well that they're supposed to be bringing back next year. All the sneakerheads out there, LeBron's 15s he did a uh, homage to the Griffey shoe as well, and I missed that. And I'm not paying the prices for what they want now out of it. We're a big shoe guy. I, I don't know where do you where do you go to find shoe information in uh, 2020? Instagram. Follow a bunch <laughs> of like follow a bunch of like boutique, you know, places that like do releases. Follow a bunch of old school uh, collectors, you know, that post their collections. Um, and then I don't know, just other boutique almost artists that like do collabs with Nike every now and then and stuff like that. I mean, we, I can talk for days. One day we'll have maybe another sneakerhead on here, and you can just sit back and take notes. Those Griffies, I remember kids wearing those yeah, during man. like little league. Yeah, I'm telling you, they're bringing them back. I think they're redoing them. 
Are they the Mariner so, green ones or are they the white ones like the white swirl? Like that white and no, black swirl. That was I think that was his second shoe. It was before that one. It was when they had like 24 on it. Had a little Velcro. It's green, black, and the Mariner green and black and white. <laughs> Look at these. <laughs> I assure you that Kyle is not looking up any pictures of these. This is all straight from memory. Yeah, there is my just... keyboard doesn't work. I, yeah, I'm not gonna pick up my phone. This is all straight from memory. Oh man, I remember. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have a lot of shoes, Ben. But to each their own, right? To each their own. Hey, cheers. Uh, cheers. Happy Happy, happy Pod Day. So Ben, so you does that uh, does that mug is that wood is that legit wood? Yeah, it's legit made out of a baseball bat. Does your beer taste of wood or no. wood chips? It tastes pretty good. I did lacquered. Is it lacquered inside? It is, it is lacquered inside. So yeah, <laughs> BPA free though. That's right. Watch out Not for splinters. <laughs> yeah, watch out for splinters. I've never seen that. Where did you get that? Um. I want to say it was, um, I got, I got sucked up by, um, it might've been an Instagram ad. See, I get you. Might've, it might've been an ad. The kids are doing it on the gram and that's how yeah. you, that's how you get, I get you nowadays. Man, do you, uh, I don't know. It's like, do you in Raleigh now, like, do you still have the opportunity to follow your sports teams that you used to follow? Or is it a little bit, a little bit more difficult? Uh, the, the worst thing is, um, watching the Nats. The Nats are oddly blacked out down here, which is, which is really strange. Um, I feel like that's the closest baseball team. Uh, actually they were right in between Atlanta and DC. Okay. So most everyone here picked up Atlanta from, um, just, just geographical closeness, but the, the Nats are starting to take over simply because, they're a little bit closer, and um, uh, there's a lot of people relocating from DC down here. So, um, have run into several folks who just randomly, I'll, I'll be wearing my Nats gear, and they're like, "Hey, go Nats!" I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> that's a relatable story because that's basically like wearing Pittsburgh stuff in Central Maryland. Like you see, you know, a nice handful of people that are shouting you out for you know wearing some Steelers or Penguin stuff. No one, no one cares about the pirates. Yeah, unfortunately, it's like that down here too. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of uh, Pennsylvania immigrants down here that uh, take over, uh, take over around football. Season. We're everywhere. Speaking of baseball, my buddy sent me because he always likes to harp on because he's from Pittsburgh and I'm from Cleveland. Uh, like, so the Nat or the Reds are playing the Indians, um, and there was a troll fest on the Reds. Uh, Twitter account against Indians Twitter account like they're like oh Cleveland so nice LeBron left it twice <laughs> <laughs> so then the Cleveland uh, person comes back goes how many titles has Cincinnati's NBA team won and they go we they have never lost a game <laughs> that's true undefeated undefeated so you're, you're talking about moving from DC to to Raleigh what what got you down there? Like, how did how did that happen? Because usually, I don't think it's that way, is it? It's usually the other way. People coming into uh, DC. Yeah, so I was I was in DC, uh, in and around DC for oh, from 2003 until I moved down here late 2018. Um, and so I I married a North Carolinian, um, and uh, she's she's the native. Uh, she went to NC State, and so. Uh, very early on in our relationship, we spent a lot of time coming down to North Carolina and visiting family and going to Raleigh. And um, I fell in love with North Carolina um, around that same time I fell in love with her. So um, we'd always had it in the in the back of our minds to move down here. Um, and had a couple of had a couple of failed uh, failed attempts, uh, you know, ten over the last ten years or so. And it turned out that uh, with uh, uh, with uh, Booz Allen, I had helped found a group uh, to do security research uh, called Dark Labs, and that allowed me to get out of the uh, get out of the dark uh, skiff world and into doing work in the open. Um, and it just turned out that it was uh, that they were that they that Booz Allen at the time supported me. Um, just taking the taking the jump and uh, moving down to uh, moving down here to Raleigh, um, and uh, and so we said, well, we're gonna let's let's just do it, uh, and uh, here we are. 
So it's been uh, it's been really good. I I love it here. It's great from from a from a beer lover's perspective. The the living here is good. The temperature. The past uh, past couple of weeks have been a little ugly, but uh, we had a really good really good spring. Aside from being mostly stuck indoors, but um, but it's been uh, it's been really good, and I, uh, I I absolutely love it down here. I'll probably never leave. So, did they give you like that remote work from home opportunity even way before the COVID? Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well before well before COVID, um, which is now becoming a much more uh, regular thing. My my new company is now a hundred percent remote. Uh, so that's, uh, so that's pretty cool uh, and it works pretty well. Uh, I've, I've not really done when I first started doing fully remote work, I was more just on my own Island doing my own personal research. That was a, a benefit to the company. And now I'm sort of working, working on a larger team of folks. Uh, and it's been, it's been working very, very well. They've got a pretty good, um, a, a pretty good business rhythm down in terms of everyone knows what they've got to do and, and it's pretty uh, pretty hands-off in terms of meetings and things like that so it's been pretty pretty nice i i i am enjoying the uh the aside from the fact that we're stuck in on uh, on a lockdown i i enjoy this working from home zeitgeist that we're currently in zeitgeist <laughs> <laughs> i like it I think Dave is ready to get back in the office, but uh, I can't. I can't stay here much longer. I gotta go. I gotta go somewhere. <laughs> Someone get me out of my office at home. So you, so you've been at you were at Booze for I, probably longer than me, right? I mean, uh, seven. I was there for like seven or eight years. I made it ten. You made it ten. Good for you. You pat. You threw back a lot of uh, you know seniority benefits there. I did. I did. <laughs> Uh, it was it was a really good place to uh, really good place to work. Um, I just uh, came up with a was, was randomly approached for an opportunity that was just too good for me to to walk away from. So I'm uh, I was I was I was a little bit misty to leave Booz Allen, uh, but uh, but the new gig is pretty awesome. How long were you at Booz? A uh, little over well, almost eleven years actually. Okay, wow, it's a lot of time. Yeah. So you went from like the consulting, the business consulting life, or I don't even know if we, we can consider Booz Allen what we worked at consulting anymore, if it was just more really like, more you know, of a, a big defense contractor that was shoved into a consulting firm. To their credit, the, uh, the group that, that you and I used to work for, um, they, they are doing things a lot differently than the rest of the company. Uh, so that's, that I think is has been very promising, but it's also you know you're trying to move an iceberg to try and get something uh, something simple done. Um, so uh, a lot of really good supportive people that get it, um, but uh, I think sometimes just the the corporate structure just prevents getting that kind of stuff done. Um, it's 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 all about one of the one of the great things about Booz Allen was the was the people like per per capita we hired a lot of we we had a lot of really really good uh really really good people and, and that remains today we have a lot of our Buzel has a lot of uh, a lot of talent uh, but as as everything goes everything's up in the air right now right so i completely agree with you i think that they were like that's one of the hardest parts for me from leaving that company at that time was i really loved and i i don't mean like liked i really did love the people that i worked with they were some smart people they were empathetic they were uh friends they were real friends yeah Kyle, yeah Kyle's throwing up the heart sign there they were i really did like those people and uh you know that's just, that's just it's hard the way to, you got to go sometimes it's hard to find that too i think everybody strives to that the, the work environment where you like truly like you have a bunch of friends from that like you know i besides david i would say like you know and I, you know madison but there's not many people after that the buck kind of stops there as far as people i've worked with the last five years that i would call like a friend right yeah like, it's just, you know, and that's just, it is. We all strive to have a work environment where you have like, you're just going to work every day with your friends and hanging out and like doing work and it's enjoyable. And stuff like that. I think we all. One of my coworkers and I used to throw football in the, uh, the hallway up at the, up at the skiff. We would just, you know, take a minute and throw some Nerf football back and forth. So I don't know. Still friends with him. Fortunately. Let loose. <laughs> it probably bothered the shit out of everybody else, but <laughs> oh, well, yeah. it well, helped me think. When you walk out of another door and you get smacked in the side of the face with a Nerf mm -hmm. football, that's probably not the uh, not what you were expecting when you walked through the door. 
Yeah, sorry. Oh, gotta keep gotta keep your head on the swivel. You must. You must. You must pay attention. So you went to uh, you went to a startup now. So how's a uh, startup life? Uh, it's been it's been incredibly refreshing. Um, it's refreshing, not stressful. Are you are you sure we, we are picking the right words here? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say use stressful. your adjectives uh, well. <laughs> it uh, the the transition has gone really well. Um, I. I was I had a little bit of trepidation about joining a company fully remote where you don't even get a chance to you know shake hands and and really get to know anybody, um, but for the most part it's been fantastic. I, I worried a lot about being able to develop you know that rapport and the camaraderie that you do working alongside folks in in physical proximity, but um, but it's actually been pretty good. So I've, I've been um, I've been here at uh, at Finite State for. Six, a little over six weeks now, um, and it's been it's been pretty good. Um, and uh, the uh, it, like I like I mentioned before, um, in terms of the remote work, um, everything works really well. Uh, the the set of tools that are used for collaboration uh, works really well. It's a typical startup. It's fast moving. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I wouldn't say it's like a huge, when you think of startups, you think of like, you know, 80, 120 hour weeks and you're, um, you're, you're, you're driving, you're going through a new keyboard every like, you know, three months because you're just, you're, you're constantly at it. Uh, but I would say that in terms of, um, in, in terms of work rhythm, I probably work about the same, maybe a little bit more, but my days are more full than they were before. So I feel like I've gotten more done. I feel like I've actually contributed more than just um, uh, than just random self-tasking, uh, like like I was doing at Booz Allen. So um, you know, it, it's been it's been really uh, it's been really cool to just work on something and it goes into a production system and here you go. You're you're analyzing. Uh, a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of firmware just like that. Um, so um, uh, it, it was it was such a good fit from a from a career perspective, not only um, in terms of what they're working on, but where they want to go. Um, that it was uh, it was too much to uh, to really um, not consider it. And as the conversation kept going, I was just like, wow, this just you know, I hate to leave hate to leave the comforts of uh, of Booz Allen, but this is uh, this is too cool of an opportunity to to pass up. So knowing your background a little bit, are you still doing reverse engineering? Yes. Do uh, you, uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep going with this. Do you have an IDA license? I do not. Do you have to use Ghidra? I do a little bit. Uh, Could I'm, you buy the IDA home version? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a dollar a day, they say. <laughs> as an embedded reverse engineer, absolutely not. <laughs> I need more than a single architecture. That's correct. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I've been uh, I've been getting more comfortable with Ghidra. I don't know that I'm ever going to get comfortable with Java. Um, it's just so it's it's, it's exhausting. It's cumbersome. Exhausting. Yes. exhausting. Yeah. And, uh, and bloated. I fully transitioned to using Python three for everything. Having to step back and use Python two is, is uh, just feels kind of dirty. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping at some point they will bring that out of the stone age of Python two and into Python three. Uh, well, what so are you if, doing? This is, this goes back to our conversations last week, or the podcast is dropped with Justin Seitz. Is what are you doing in Python three that you can't do in Python two? Um, it's more of it's it's less of what you can't do and just the the um, limitations of software dependencies that you're pulling in. So if you have a third party library that's only Python three, okay, sure, library, right, you, that's fair. That can be kind of a pain, and it's and the, the Ghidra environment is not particularly friendly to bringing in third party um, third party. You don't say. Stuff. Tell me more. <laughs> for some reason, they just weren't built for that. Um, so that's. Uh, that's been kind of a been kind of a pain. So, I've been forcing myself to uh, to learn a little bit more, learn a little bit, get a little bit more proficient with with Java, um, because there's just a little bit more um, in terms of library support there. But uh, yeah, it's not too bad. But what? my oh, go ahead. So yeah, yeah, I'll let you finish. Sorry, my bad. Uh, my my biggest problem with Ghidra has been um, 
it's a it has a lot of really good program analysis capabilities and to build things for automation but it was built to be a decompiler for human people to read this assembly decompiled right so the the problem is a lot of the cool features that you'd want to use and and techniques and, and APIs that you want to use for doing program analysis are actually buried in the one part of Ghidra that is written in C++ and not necessarily exposed out to the Java APIs. So if you want to do really, really intense program analysis stuff, you've got to dig into the decompiler and tweak it a little bit, which is a little bit annoying. I, I'm, it's, it's not the worst thing, but, uh, but there's, it, it's, it's very clearly written to do uh written for people doing manual reverse engineering yep i mean i'm thinking about our time using that tool uh back in the day and the only reason that i ever booted it up was because we could uh i'm sorry hex rays had not put out a power pc decompiler yet and we would throw a binary into it we would push the button get our candy you know as uh, justin site said clicky clicky and you all of a sudden have decompiled code, I would close Ghidra down after I copied my code out somewhere else, and then I'd boot Ida back up and paste it into the, uh, to the block of code I was looking at. And that's really the only use that I found uh, for Ghidra many years ago, and I will try to not use it still. Is there but, uh, any push for your current company to use Ida and you know, buckle down and- Or radar. Or radar, yeah. Radar actually has some nice utilities, uh, but I, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone actually uses the actual disassembly part of it. Um, I don't have I'm not aware of folks that even have IDA licenses uh, at at Finite State. I'm sure they exist, but I don't see them. Um, it's mostly uh, I think we're mostly using Ghidra for everything, um, which is which is nice. Um, the Which is nice. Nice I, in the sense of, I think, uniformity. I don't think nice in the sense of that's the tool I would prefer to use, correct? It's, it's not, yeah, it's not the... Uh, let me put uh, words in your mouth, Ben. It's good for, it's great for collaboration. Yes, it is. Yes, uh, it actually is. I will give it credit for that. I do remember that being like one of the big bonuses of it because uh, what was the, what was the plugin that they were working on for Ida that we tried to stand up? Um, the whole collaborative workspace, Collaborate. Right. Oh yeah. Just it just wasn't working. Like it was it wasn't maintained. It wasn't a thing that Ida was really, you know, seeming to want to integrate into a platform. So if you have a room full of engineers working on one problem, like you you have to keep sharing uh databases. There's no nice nice push pull, you know. Yep. And uh I've I've actually personally been using binary ninja for most everything, which is oh, my favorite favorite tool to come along that I've ever done into reverse engineering with it's just great what do you like really? about that is it just the the command line shenanigans or what the, the api is fantastic um gui is not cluttered i mean it's obviously not it doesn't have you know 30 years of engineering behind a disassembly like ida does but uh but their approach to developing an api and in intermediate languages uh to actually do legitimate program analysis is pretty awesome um the great thing about their uh IRs or ILs are that you can actually read them. Um, I don't know if you've if either of you've ever looked at the ILs that that Ida has behind the hood or the or the Kedra's P code, but um, they're they're not human friendly for reading. Uh, just really, just really terrible. Um, and uh, with with Binary Ninja, you can actually read it and comprehend it. It's more like a like a, like an LLVM assembly, um, and they have different layers of uh, of ILs that you can engage for different tasks, which is which is pretty awesome. So I'm using that pretty heavily in my uh, in my PhD research. That's a solid segue, actually. So <laughs> not only are you doing, unless you and unless we want to rip on Gidra, we can do that for the next hour. I'll rip on you. I mean, like that that thing's a, yeah. Never mind. Go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> well, like so, you you do the startup, you you jump ship from you know, as you said your you know consulting life, and then you're like. You know what? Maybe maybe you're already doing it. You're like, I'm gonna do a startup and a PhD at the same time, because most people would be like, that sounds like an. I said, I actually said it day before. So I'm like, that sounds like hell. Period. Yeah. So so the fun part is, you know, instead of getting instead of having, you know, my my midlife crisis and going out and buying a Tesla or a Corvette, 
uh, I decided I was going to go get a PhD, and that's 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 how that went. Can I ask where you're going? Like, what where are you going? Uh, North Carolina State. And they allow you to do on like you can do it online. I only ask because I've I've considered it over the last probably like four to seven years. Every now and then I'm like, man, I should go back, but like you know, obnoxiously I got my master's from Carnegie Mellon, so like the bar is already set high, so I have to make sure like I have something like equal to or better, right? And, and most NC of them like you go good full, though, man. That's well, not, like, no, I'm not that's saying, like I'm not saying research. <laughs> I'm not saying NC State's bad. I'm just saying like a lot of the places. My biggest crux, a lot of places are like, yeah, we allow most students to go all but like one of the four years you know, you know, not full time. You're like, all right, so you want me to take a 70% pay cut for one year? And like, that's not worth it. Yeah. So NC State's a little different then in that sense. Uh, NC State's, NC State's pretty good. And, and I worked out, um, I worked out a deal where I'm actually working on uh, the, the PhD research is, is dovetailed closely enough with the research that I'm, that I'm doing for work um, that it just kind of fits right in there. So the nice thing about a PhD program is, you only really have to take a handful of legitimate classroom classes and the rest of it is just research time. So if you can productize that research and publish it, um, then you've, uh, you've got a pretty good deal. Uh, so that's, uh, so that's how I'm, how I'm pulling that off without going insane. Uh, I didn't want to do, um, I really didn't want to try to do a PhD program uh, part-time and take like 10 years and my all of my evenings away for for doing something like that that was a non-starter but when uh we kind of established that what i was working on was relevant to business interests um we said well if we could work out uh, work out something where what I'm, what I'm working on is actually you know something that we could productize or or um, is a benefit to the company then we can just use that time um so that's oh, uh, that's yeah, that's really interesting well. I think more companies should do it. It's something that was probably more common, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And it, and it became more, um, you know, that a lot of the, uh, I think Bell Labs used to do things like that, where you could work on your, your doctorates and things like that while you were there. Um, they encourage it, right? Because it looks better for them on paper, right? You have all these people that get their PhDs and stay and work and do things they like. And it makes, I mean, it's a drive, like a, you're driving the excitement of the work, right? Because you did it and you're working on it, so. Yeah, exactly. What's your, so what's your overarching theoretical dissertation at this point in time? Like, what are you, what's the, your theme of your, obviously revolving around firmware? In Binja. Yeah, so, um, so basically my, my PhD work without going into too much excruciating detail because I've already been sort of scooped twice. Um, scooped? So listen, to, listen to the podcast. And what do you, what do you mean you got scooped? Hey, listen, one of our 20 listeners might scoop you. This is true. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, like what, what, what do you mean scooped? You've been scooped before. So, so, where, so basically my, my first semester, so I started last fall um, and started, you know, working in, I already had an, I, I knew what I was going to work on um, and uh, started really scoping it out and, and coming up with a research plan and two groups almost simultaneously published something very, very close to what I was working on. Oh. No. So I, I, there's still enough uniqueness to my, to my idea that uh, hopefully get it published here in the next few months. But, um, but at any rate, the, the topic itself is I'm working on uh, novel techniques for emulating arbitrary firmware images. So um, mm. if you've ever tried to emulate firmware, right? It's yes. super it's a pain easy. in the ass. Oh, you, you, hey, button. listen, you just use QMU and then everything yeah. just freaking works, man. That's just snap, snap, snap. It works every time, every 60% of the time, every time. Magic. Yeah, you just hit command line, QMU. Yeah, it's a little just less your... than 60% of the time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so working on, working on some techniques to uh, try to overcome some of those, some of those challenges that happen when you're trying to emulate firmware, whether it's, it, it's, it, it, there have been a few um, advancements for stuff that's running Linux, but that's, as we all know, not the full uh, full story when it comes to firmware. There's lots and lots of different RTOSs and bare metal things, and you might want to actually emulate those. Uh, and so my, my work is, is basically uh, looking at some novel ways to try and fix that problem. So how far are you into your PhD? I am one year in, um, and I have probably 
75% of my first paper done and, and ready to be out the door. I've just got to wrap that up and, and get it out and published. Sweet. That's fantastic. One year of a four year uh, Troy Dark. Yeah, it should be anywhere between three, three to five years is usually what the uh, what the expected um, time is. It, it's it's all basically um, dependent on how quickly you can get published. Uh, so computer science now, um, if you're familiar with how PhDs typically work, is you take a bunch of classes and then you take a comprehensive exam uh, that demonstrates your, your book knowledge, and then you're allowed to go and start uh, writing your, your dissertation. Uh, but now computer science is so broad uh, that computer science programs are uh, taking, a, taking a different approach where you're, they, they really want you to focus right out of the box. And they don't want you to necessarily have to know everything there is to know about basic data science and basic computer networking and basic, you know, uh, programming languages and, and things like that. It's picking an area of focus right off the bat and basically publishing three papers that are linked together into a, a dissertation. All linked together with machine learning or blockchain. <laughs> Gotta have some blockchain. <laughs> uh, must store it all in the cloud. AI, cloud, blockchain. Sounds like uh, a great dissertation when you put those buzzwords <laughs> in it. <laughs> It's, it can't fail. That's, I think, what people want to hear, right? Doug coin. Right. <laughs> That's right. So, look, I mean, I, you want to switch gears to that SE slide? You don't need to do it. In I'm one sorry, set. I just slammed that, that last like <laughs> five ounces. I'm struggling. I'm going to have to go get another. I'm, I ran out real fast. What have we got like, what, like, 10 minutes? We've got about 10 minutes left. I can drink another beer in 10 minutes. Sorry, Kyle, go ahead. I didn't mean to no, interrupt no, I think, you with my chug. No, no, we go back to what you sort of talked about in the beginning. Like you mentioned like the conferences and then I think, you know, you and I were talking. So you've been to, I want to know more about Infiltrate, right? Like I was actually looking forward to potentially going to it in the future. Yeah, so I was telling Kyle that I think out of all the people that I know in the cybersecurity field or in like the tech industry, I think that Ben might be the only person I know that actually has been to Infiltrate. Uh, I met him at in Miami to drink beers once, but I was on vacation and he was at Infiltrate. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, can you can you talk about that conference? Like it seems to be like one of the ones that you're you're definitely like an advocate for for anybody that like I said I, I've ever met. Most people are you know black hat DefCon week. Like that's that's it. Maybe DerbyCon, maybe um, maybe ShmooCon, but. Not a lot of not a lot of press from Infiltrate. So uh, Booz Allen was actually going to sponsor Infiltrate this year, uh, and may still be sponsoring Infiltrate. As far as I know, it's still going on, delayed to I think October. Um, we'll see how that actually happens. I know their their plans were to do a hybrid conference, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure in the direction we're heading, that's, that's still going to happen. Dude, I hate hybrid conferences. I can't, I'm sorry, DEF CON and Black Hat. I can't do it. I'll watch the I videos later, not even during this week. I can't, I can't even watch the videos later. I'm so like, sad I, this week. I don't want to watch them now. Every, every day, David sent a text out, you know, we would have been at this party today. Today's rapid seven day. Oh, was it Thursday? What's today? We would have been drinking a beer park today. Uh, Anheuser-Busch beer park, by the way, AB InBev. I'm going to go get another beer. <laughs> I'll be right back. You want me to pause? I'll pause. Okay, I'll pause. So yeah, yeah conferences, missing out, infiltrate, all the above. Sorry, folks, we paused you and came back. Sorry, you don't do like uh, like uh, BJJ. You don't do the jujitsu part of these uh, infiltrates, right? No, you know, I'm the a fighting fan. thing. I, I would never, I would never be able to to even, you know, not come close to embarrassing myself. It's oh. terrible. <laughs> As someone who's been doing VJJ for a while, it's I've been to so like the only other conference I've come across and I've, maybe someone will listen to all the way this far into our podcast and tell me different. But uh uh there's a BJJ smackdown that uh Jeremiah Grossman who runs a binary oh I'm not gonna I, I, I don't know. He has a company that sponsors it but he runs it um, bit bit discovery or bit defense. That's not here, but there's a no, that's Back they have down. one they have one right between Black Hat and, and DefCon every year, and it was pretty cool. Like I had to meet like UFC fighters last year. Like I was looking forward to that. 
but yeah, but I know infiltrate. I've been wanting to go because I have like the whole you know jujitsu day, you know beforehand and stuff. It's so if you're, if you're into if you're into that, definitely go. They what I love about infiltrate. Um, so I've been going. I've been going since I think 2012, 2013. I think um, I think the year that I met you there was the first year that you had gone. So that that yeah. sounds like 2013. Yeah, um, they uh, it's of of the of the deep technical conferences uh, for computer security. I think that you you're always going to get really really awesome talks and really awesome conversations there with folks who really really know what they're talking about, as opposed to you know walking around. Black Hat, DEF CON, and, and going through the uh, going through the vendor areas of people who are just trying to sell you crap. Um, Infiltrate is just really meant to just be presenting cutting edge, really awesome research. Um, so I think that's what actually scared me away for the past. It's like, man, these are some crazy good talks of people. And also, that's the first time I saw binary defense, binary, binary ninja. Like training, I think was at Infiltrate. Like, yep. what, like, I think four or five years ago, I was like, oh, when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, they, they have training there. And I almost considered it, because I think we got some licenses for a while. At yeah, for a couple minutes. Yeah, the, um, the other nice thing about Infiltrate is that uh, Dave Itell really wants to keep it small. Um, so while they are, they, they do take corporate sponsorship, they, they keep the, um, they cap the attendance pretty low. Um, it's usually around four or 500 folks. Um, and so, that allows you to, number one, you're staying at the, one of the hardest parts is um, it's one of the most expensive places to stay in Miami <laughs> uh, at the at the Fountain Blue Hotel. And then um, uh, the food is always, you know, top notch, uh, really awesome food. They feed uh, you, right? Yeah, they, they feed you and the, um, uh, just the ability to um, pretty much any, everyone that goes there is a top notch security researcher so the side oh fuck i better stay away then <laughs> i was just thinking like man defcon feeds you but it's in like or excuse me black hat feeds you but it's in that like mess hall like you're in a cafeteria and you're herded into like this table area it's like you eat there yeah i barely very rarely had a conversation at, at infiltrate about um with someone who you know you sit down for a small talk at a table or something and and you're like oh what'd you think of the uh what'd you think of that heap allocator talk and they're like yeah i had no idea i had no idea what that was about um i'm just a manager it's very rare to run into somebody oh man like that at infiltrate um okay. so it's been it's you, been really good you do run into those out of defcon and black hat i'd say more black hat that you didn't did yes. anything else like you'll run into those people they're like oh yeah i work yeah i'm a tech manager and blah 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 like uh, i don't you know i'm going what talks are you interested in going into today I'm like ah, uh, i don't think we're going to be on the same track today so <laughs> just make some stuff up because I don't want you following me. You're probably an agent of a federal government somewhere. I've actually never been to DEF CON. I've been to Black Hat twice and just never really enjoyed it. And always had a better time at uh, at either um, Infiltrate or Recon. Uh, recon is really good. Oh, Recon. Yeah, shout out for Recon. recon. That's like the hot one in where we work. Yeah. I've never been there, though. That's also pretty close to where you grew up there, up on the uh, northern Canadian border, or excuse me, yep. southern Canadian border. What's that all I, about? I grew up about two hours southwest of Montreal. That's on a dirt road. That's not actually a straight line. That's like some, you know, that's, that's the road they took to get into Canada illegally. <laughs> <laughs> yep, way up there at the top of New York State. That's it's not even way up there. I actually looked that up on the map. I remember, I remember you telling me about like growing up with basically like you had Canadian culture influences and in like your music choice. And I was like, I don't yeah, understand big, how that happened. Big tragically hip fan. Huge. Huge. <laughs> Huge. No, but those are two great conferences. Like I think people really want to get technical talks to go to. And they've been on my list. Like I think I wanted to go to recon train this year. That was my goal. But then the person that runs recons always slow to get out the like you know hey here's our training and then you know obviously COVID hit but then like because our process to get approved for training 
is a pain in the ass, right? So. I was gonna say that was also in like, like is it recorded in like May or June too? So like we wouldn't have been able yeah. to go anyway. So it doesn't really matter. No, yeah, it was already like. Once, yeah, it is, it is typically slow. He doesn't like post. He, she, they doesn't post anything until like late March. You're like, man, that's too late, man. Because like also like if I'm gonna take out the talks like now that they have the Ring Zero talks, those are like some of the I think the better trains now that you know, I'm taking that uh, technically this weekend, but I'm not gonna watch the videos until Monday. Yeah, so that's the problem like with these virtual conferences like i don't want to do it unless i'm in the class like i can't for me i can't focus unless i'm there i can't i need to be surrounded by the people that are actually taking the course with me i need to see my instructor i need to be able to call him over with a question him or her with a question and i need i need like immediate feedback and participation i can't just remotely self-task myself in a learning class like that's just I, i've never been that way i've been bad at like any kind of learning that we have to take home and do it yourself i can't do it i'm not motivated i'm not that type of person i'm very sorry to all my teachers and instructors from the past but that's that's my burden to live with so you know when when they cancel everything and, and put it all online like that's cool i'm i'm very appreciative that there's you know people taking time out of their their life to Put those videos together and put the material together and and make sure that it's hosted and supported but i can't take it i don't know how many people are like me but you know i need i need to be there i actually took an online class earlier this year and it it worked out it, it worked pretty well um it was a, a more advanced advanced analysis with binary ninja class and the instructor was really good it was um i think it was right after it was right after the lockdowns really started. Um, so everyone was still trying to figure out how to, how to do um, online training who hadn't done it before. And the instructor was really good. Um, and it was, it was a pretty good class, but yeah, you miss, you definitely miss in-person interaction. It feels weird to be conversational or like, you know, you're, you're right. It's hard to figure out how to like throw your hand up. You, you, um, uh, it, it ends up happening kind of often a, in a side chat uh, with the instructor directly, which is, you know, it's okay, but then you, you don't necessarily get the benefit of everyone else in the class getting that question that you asked. So there's, yeah. there's definitely some, some downsides to it. Yeah. How many people, <laughs> who, whose VM does not work also? Who has the bad thumb, uh, the thumb drive that will not work? Oh, that was formatted with FAT32. Sorry, you guys, it's not going to work. Well, now it's now it's um, troubleshooting everyone's Docker configurations. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they said for like this training I'm taking from Ring Zero. They're like, don't like make sure you download the VM soon. Don't like neglect how much time it's going to get your like lab set up and all this other stuff. And it's like uh, people still do that, Kyle. You know, you've been in those classes. Like people still show up and they're like, oh yeah, I just brought my I brought this laptop that work loaned me because I can't bring my laptop. And they're like. Well, does it have the, the, the thing installed on it? Like, I don't know. Does it have some sort of framework? No, I don't Maybe. I don't know. They told me it did. They, they every, time, <laughs> every time I'm in a class or I've taught a, a conference class and someone's like, yeah, this is my work laptop. And like, I don't know what's on it. I can't do this stuff. I'm like, why didn't you bring your own laptop? Because you're taking this class like, and like run everything in a VM. And I don't know. It's, just, it's, a, it's a painstaking smash keyboard face to keyboard situation and there's so much like i wanted to talk about then with like i think we're i know we're coming up on it here but like i mean i keep going and just like splice it in i don't know well, so, yeah i mean talk bring up another topic we could go a little long it's okay so I'm, I'm looking i'm looking at the list uh i don't you know we, we again please cut this part out but like you had mentioned in your discussion on like nc state like phd topics like Oh yeah, you can just talk about programming languages, right? So you can't really just talk about programming languages, right? Is that is that true? I I think the I I think the intention was like I've been learning so many like new uh going back into going back into taking classes, like every every professor uses a different programming language. So I'm getting exposed to a lot of languages that I've just never had before. Um such as you know getting getting irritated with the java and and um and and really just you know getting forced to learn programming languages that i just really hate how uh, awful is java is that is that kind of where this is going to jump is this the jumping off point is it java is it you know did, did Ghidra make you mad at java 
Because I don't like Java. I had a Java before Ghidra. <laughs> hated Java before. I, I had to. I actually had to use Java for a compiler class that I took last year. Um, what? And I was like, why? Why? <laughs> and it was just because that's what the professor coded that example in, and it was. It was just like, why? Um, was it a whole like Java class, or are you talking about like, oh, it was just you know some sort of like JavaScript thing that had to run for you know three hundred lines. It was, uh, it was basically, uh, we were learning how to write parsers for a compiler class and somebody had, the, the professor thought that the best example of a, of a parser from a previous class that he wanted to like strip out and make a skeleton for us to fill in happened to be in Java. So it was, <laughs> you had to learn a whole bunch of crap about Java that just you, you didn't care about. It's just irritating, especially coming from like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable in C. I don't care about objects. I don't care about like namespaces and in, instantiating multiple things of you know method call. I don't care. I just want like C code that does the thing I tell it to do. It accesses that memory address and then it just, you know, you know, maybe you don't deallocate the pointer. It's fine. It'll be there well, that's, later. That's the thing though. You're you're also very intimately familiar with the how the language works and how the underlying computer works. Whereas not everybody programming C knows those mm -hmm. things. And even experienced programmers make those, those mistakes. But if you want to talk about more crappy programming languages, um, I heard you allude to C++ in there. And <laughs> C++ isn't even the same language that it was when I learned it. I uh, just, just to um, really familiarize myself last year with it, um, I'd heard a lot of things about C++ getting modernized like 10 years ago. And so I said, well, let me take this, let me take this opportunity to develop a, a little um, example program and just do a, maybe it'd be a nice conference talk to do a compare and contrast amongst the modern popular, you know, uh, compiled languages that people are using these days. So C++, Go, Rust, Swift, um, I think were, were some of the ones that I did. So I just coded up a, a stupid uh, calculator app with all, you know, four or five different languages and tried to use what were the, you know, idiomatic methods for um, writing that. So not just saying, I'm going to recreate the C application in all of these other languages. Um, I wanted to actually like use the language the way that the, the developers intended. Um, so I so I I played around with that, and so I used that as an opportunity to learn modern C++. And uh, those listening will not have caught the air quotes that I just put up. <laughs> they were they were very loud over here. Yeah, uh, super loud. <laughs> but uh, it's a yeah, it's a completely different language. Like C++ originally was C with object concepts, and yes. now they've completely rewritten it. Um, and it's really, really far from that. And there's just, there's so much, you basically have to forget. So I learned C, C++ circa 2000. Oh uh, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, that's about when I learned it. I think that's it. the first yeah. time I learned it too. Yeah, so we had like colon colon namespace, like that was like the thing, right? It was always just yeah. like. If you learned it then and you haven't used it a lot in the last <laughs> like five to 10 years, you need to forget everything that you learned and start over because <laughs> it's really just, it's, it's a completely different language. I like, how, I like, how, but like real quick, I like how you're like, I'm going to develop an application in a bunch of languages that I may or may not know for <laughs> shits and giggles. Like, that shows the type of research mind that you have Ben, And it's, it's actually pretty immaculate because I'd be like, I told myself go probably about you know a month, six weeks ago. I'm like, I just need to learn to go. Everybody's talking about go. There's a few applications I want to use in go. So if I want to like edit them and fork them on GitHub, like I want to be able to like edit it and understand what I'm doing. And I was like, oh, this is like sort of like Python and, and you know C had a baby and they spit it out. That's how I interpret it as a non-software developer. I don't know if I'm correct in my uh, analogy there, but I found it very easy to use and do. Uh, and then like recently I've been doing some C++ stuff to understand like you know persistent and like red teaming development from the back end like you know techniques. And I'm like this is miserable, like all this like syntax and like, what is all this? Why do you have to like, you know, why do we got to munch this all up and, you know, add all this cumber cumbersome shit in here, just like make it simple, you know? 
Yeah, it's it's exhausting to write. Um, I, I I would not make it as a programmer. I don't, I don't Hell think so. No. Oh no, we just had Kyle and I just had this conversation today where where someone uh one one not someone. Uh there was a uh one of Colleague. our tech lead yeah, uh, one of my our tech leaders was talking about like, oh, just write some code blah 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 and Kyle looked over and he goes, "Hey, Dave doesn't forward engineer. Just leave him alone. <laughs> he doesn't like thank you for sticking up for me. I don't I don't do that. I I can write stupid little shell scripts. I can write like crappy bash uh if i need to and then uh i'd rather write and see otherwise you know sorry it's terrible i have gotten really comfortable with python in terms of like it's it's very easy to go from your mind to getting something to work yep um in a, in a very short with it with a very short development cycle so i I've, I've really enjoyed i mean python's not without its flaws but um but it's been it's been really um it's been really good to get things done very quickly and from someone who's always writing like little snippets of things or like trying to try something out um it's it's been really um you know it, it just makes it really easy and if if there's some sort of you know specific algorithm you need or some sort of tool there's there really is a, a huge amount of software out there for python that is open source you can just pull in um so that, that's actually like a really nice segue because i'm looking i'm over here looking at like a microsoft document of like what c is nowadays and it looks like python with brackets like where you're like import std.core and i don't know if i would have known to do that if uh if someone asked me to go write c code because that's not the like like just like you said it's not the format that i learned 20 years ago 18 years ago now yeah. a little bit of time ago it's been a while since i did c like we don't need to i don't i'm sorry i don't need to do this so i'm thank i'm very thankful for ben to point out that this is just completely uh face lifted they don't even i don't know where they teach undergrad but like when you get to the grad school levels they're still pushing students either into java and it wasn't until like a couple years ago like i mean like a I teach an interdisciplinary program. I'm like, you got to force like Python on the people, at least teach them some type of scripting language is to automate things they do. And they go out in the world and become like, you know, information security professional, right? Like not like a true like developer or reverse engineer, but like, you know, a little abstraction from there. And they're like, Oh, that's a great idea. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm gonna do it in my classes and they're going to hate themselves. And so eventually they like made it mandatory to take one of two, you know, Python classes. Cause the only other programming language, the graduate level, at the college I teach at was, you know, Java. And it's like, unless you're doing application development, like you don't need Java for, in my opinion, for cybersecurity. So that that's a really Java nice script. point too. Like you're, you're over there talking, you're, you're, I don't want to say you're over there talking about, but like you're talking about being able to like, someone wants to do data lift. Somebody needs to do data lifting and parsing and turning into something else. And it's not me. So if someone needs to learn that somewhere, right? Where, where's that happening? Is it, is it PhD level with Ben or is it, you know, Kyle shoving that into master students throats over at Duquesne? Like, where's that happening? <laughs> I don't it's know. not me. Cause I'm not doing it. I don't teach it to my kids. Sorry. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows how to use debuggers yeah. in Ida because I won't teach them Gidra. That's right. <laughs> you know but like you give me hope ben that you know binary ninja it might be something i've always heard great things about their their api you know uh, an interaction that way but there's also like the radar too and like they're able to script that up in python really easily too there's appealing about that so maybe there's not hope. An expensive license either like i'm over here looking at the prices for for binary ninja and it's it's twelve hundred dollars like... for a year-long commercial license and they also offer student discounts. So I got for my kids this year, a free IDA license for three months, four months in the reverse engineering class. Like I am 100% open to seeing if they can use a binary ninja license instead of you gotta, you gotta, just you gotta put them in the world Egypt. where, you know, where you know, Ben works and like, you know, the company doesn't. They don't words. have they don't have capital to be throwing money at hex rates yep. like that's just yep. not going to happen. Yeah, and like as we all like it and we would all prefer it, like you got to use the tools that are cheap or easily available, right? And that's just the way it is at times, I guess. Though I know like we'd all wish to have like you know decompiler. I mean, how much is 
for what, let's just say four architectures, five architectures, decompiler and uh, disassembler, like how much is that for IDA? If you were to go PowerPC, ARM, MIPS, uh, and x86, and 64, and then got decompilers and disassemblers, how much would that actually be for one person? The whole thing. I mean, they, they do give you a discount on subsequent. Uh, <laughs> it's like 10%, but like totally is, is, it, is, it, is it really a discount? <laughs> You're like, oh, free shipping. You're like, well, I download it. What do you mean, free shipping? Free I, I shipping. think their I think their business model will have to change for sure. Um, I mean, that's what like he's mean, trying, right? With with the Ida at home, like he's he's trying to do something, but I don't think it's good that enough was yet. Kind of a kind of a joke. Like, yeah, that was not well received. I actually bought that. That's not well received online on the Twitters. <laughs> I can tell you that. No, it got you know. I don't know. Well, it's just. Yeah. But I mean, in, in we'll, we'll, uh, we can continue conversations, but we should probably come to a podcast. Official wrap up. Official wrap up. Ben, don't go anywhere. We always hang out for a little bit afterwards. Like yeah, we'll like to say. Where is um, the fucking licensing? But uh, I got like to say, <laughs> this guy over here trying to find idle license. I'm over here using the Google, man. I don't see, I don't see using Google's. I use Bing <laughs> I nowadays because I'm a Chromium Edge user. Bing. Bing. I can't because my keyboard doesn't want to work or he's dead it's or something. fucking terrible. You got that Chinese keyboard, man. So you. I do. I like it. Anyway. <laughs> Brad, how, do people, how do you want people to get a hold of you? If they want to reach out, talk about some Binary Ninja, Infiltrate, all the above, Star, um, card, Moving, PhD it? programs, whatever. I, I usually, usually I tag on Twitter and like generically on uh, LinkedIn, but I'm happy to include email, uh, ICQ, whatever you want to say. Yeah, I drop my uh, my Twitter handle and uh, email address with with that. Uh, it's just epidemics with a three. Epidemics. That's what you. I think you have one of the most unique uh, Twitter handles, except for Cool Breeze sixty nine over here. Cool Breeze twenty six. Twenty six. Sorry, I knew it had six in it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, I yeah, haven't uh, been targeted by um, by any of the uh, the OG. Uh, uh, hackers twitter hackers yet so it can't be that cool yeah one epidemics day. with a three three pi yeah all right i'll look you well, up and i'll uh, you know add you since you i haven't follow you follow me on the twitters yeah probably i just don't well i don't but i well i'll add you on there and uh, <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes and um you know people can reach out if they like to but uh ben it's been great having you on uh great mind brilliant mind uh, like i just spent hours with you trying to like you know i can, see why you led, I, I, I can see why you led like one of the most prestigious teams that a lot of people know about in the you know dod consulting world right so it's uh it says a lot and uh it's great to meet you and put a face with a name and uh yeah thank you ben appreciate i'm sorry let, let me let me step in here real fast uh yeah, yeah, thank no, you. No, also yeah Big thank you to Ben. Thank, thanks for taking time out. I know you got a bunch of shenanigans going on between uh, your uh, new position and your PhD. So, you know, uh, in hours. All of that, uh, I'm having my first child in about six weeks. So, oh, six weeks? I'm screwed. This guy. <laughs> this Bro, guy you're not going to sleep. <laughs> this guy comes in the 11th hour and goes, guess what else? <laughs> you're not gonna sleep man well at least there's only 24 hours in a day you divide that up i mean you'll get like 30 minutes in here power nap you know let me tell you about power naps <laughs> but as we like to say in closing stay thirsty everybody cheers thank you stay thirsty <laughs>